was introduced to the idea of Christian businesses joining together to advertise themselves as being a Christian business so that people would think, I can trust uh, these businesses. If this person says he's a Christian mechanic or he's a, he works on HVAC systems or he's a plumber or whatever it was, uh, sales and service, it was Christian people. You could trust them. They advertise themselves as Christians because, after all, Christians don't lie or cheat people, right? Well, unfortunately, not everyone who claims to be a Christian lives as he should. Some Christians lie. Other Christians lose their temper. Some speak profane words, even curse words. Some are consumed by bitterness. and They're unforgiving. I learned this growing up in a closed Christian environment. Sometimes people say to me, so what was it like? What was it like growing up at Bob Jones University? I don't talk about this a whole lot. I was born on their campus. I don't know if you've ever been there. However strict and, and difficult things are now, it was a hundred times better, worse. I'll, I'll tell you the answer. I loved it. Uh, some people think it's a cult because of the pink and blue sidewalks. They don't have pink and blue sidewalks. Some people think it's too strict. I, I, my front yard was a giant ball field. Uh, I loved that. I came home from school, uh, did my homework, and then I went out and played. And that was just fun. I had a cafeteria nearby where we ate all of our meals, mostly, mostly good. Uh, it was a long time before I knew the pizza had a different shape other than a square. And my friends and I had met, I had friends, that we, many of them, they lived in the houses around us. It was a safe, fun, exciting place to live. And one of the reasons was that because the expectation that Christians should live uh, like Christians should live. But let's be honest, that doesn't always happen. And it didn't always happen there. Even in the place I grew up, it wasn't perfect because I watched people lose their temper. And I knew people, sometimes faculty and staff, who lied. Sometimes they lied to me. And I heard people speak bad words. And I knew people who were bitter and unforgiving, even there. And what hope does that give us? Well, the thrust of our doctrine is to result in a new life, a changed life, one that glorifies God. And I, I think we could call that a Christian ethic. This is how we should live. Our lives should be, as verse 1 says in chapter 4, worthy of the calling wherewith we are called. Worthy of the gospel. Our behavior, that is our attitude, and our actions should adorn the gospel like bright, shiny ornaments on a Christmas tree. Let your light so shine, Jesus said, that others would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our Christian ethic means we should live like Christians should live. Because, this is number one, life in Christ requires speaking truthfully. I want you to look in the middle of verse 25. Look right down at the text. Notice the verb, speak. There's our verb. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Christians are obliged to tell the truth. Now the word truth here 
refers to objective truth. This means dispassionate facts, not subjective ideas. The focus on what really is true rather than something that merely claims to be true. And this is the, the idea of something that's genuine. You get a new iPhone or a new Android phone, you go onto Amazon and you type in leather case. And what do you find? You find the first 6,000 options are genuine PU leather. And do you know what genuine PU leather is? It's plastic. It's the very uh, definition of not genuine because it's not leather. It, has, it doesn't feel like leather. It doesn't smell like leather. It doesn't wear like leather. It didn't come off a cow. It's not leather. It's fake leather. It's pleather. And, and when you get that and it comes up, you realize that's not true. That's an untrue statement. It's, it's something that really is genuine. In fact, it's more than feelings. In our culture, it's almost become a, a reality that feelings define truth. People say, this is my truth. I affirm my truth. What they mean is not something that's objectively true, but something that they want to be true, something that they wish was true. It's not sharing our hopes and feelings, but what really is, which is why the postmodern sense of truth doesn't fit into the statement. If I say to you something that is my truth, it might actually be a lie. It's my truth, but it doesn't make it true. It's only true if it's objectively true. Understanding that then, the truth should govern, should control our words. You see the word speak again. Look at the word speak. Now, if you see that word speak in English, here is what it looks like in Greek. It is a present active imperative verb. This is actually very simple. Everybody can understand this. It's in the present tense, which means it occurs in actual time, in the moment. It's present tense. It's the noun. It's an active voice, which means the subject is doing the action. Not the, not the object, but the subject is doing the action. But this is the part that's most important. It's in the imperative mood. And when we say a verb is imperative, here's what we mean. Every time I use that idea of imperative verb, it means it's a command. In God's word, there are verbs in the New Testament that are commanding verbs. In fact, there are participles that take on an imperatival, it's like an imperative, uh, uh, mood. For example, uh, the participle go in the Great Commission. It, it, it precedes the verb, which is to make disciples. So it's a command. You have to go and make disciples of the nations. So here, that imperative mood governs that word speak. It kind of controls the word speak. So it's not something that's just a really good idea. It's not something you ought to think about doing. Hey, I, I, I ought to speak truth to my neighbor. You know, it's not a bad idea. I, I ought to once in a while, you know, say something that's not a lie. I think that's a good idea. That's not what it's saying. You speak truth. It's a command that God is telling you to do. It's a command means when you communicate that it must be a communication that is true. And can I say as an aside that governs nonverbal communication. 
You can lie to people without even saying anything. Just simply by the way you're speaking. Yeah. You can use sarcasm as a lie or simply by not saying anything at all. Just by maybe raising your eyebrows or, or the way you use your eyes. You actually can mislead a person. And that's a lie. It's not speaking the truth. You see, when he gives us the command, Christians are obliged to tell the truth, it means here we must not lie. And, and, and you see that in verse 25 at the beginning of the verse. Okay, putting away lying. Because a, becoming a Christian signals a break with unbelief. Now, there are three infinitives. Look at verse 24. There are three ideas here. All right. Verse 22, 23, and 24, the infinitives are put off, be renewed, put on. Do you see those? Really familiar when people talk about sanctification. They talk about these three infinitives. They're not imperatives even if they might have some idea of a command behind them. What it's teaching here is not that this is something I'm doing now. Actually, remember, I told you the key to this entire section is you have not so learned Christ. How have I learned Christ? And when I learned Christ, what I learned is that I put off the old man in Christ. I am being renewed in the spirit of my mind, and I have put off the old man, I put on the new man. So in, in terms of what this passage is teaching, it is not like I was taught growing up. You come to this text and the, and the pastor would say, okay, like a garment, you take off the old man. All right, he'd take his coat off, right? And, and uh, I had a pretty big pastor. And if it was summertime when he was preaching on that verse, why, he'd be pretty sweaty underneath that coat. Right? But he'd take his jacket off and then he'd say, okay, and now you put on the new man. All right, and that sounds really good. But that's not what the text is teaching. When you got saved, you put off the old man. Your mind was renewed and you put on the new man. That already occurred at your salvation. In fact, if you go over to Colossians chapter 3 in verses 9 and 10, you see how the companion passage, this is a companion book, Colossians and Ephesians. You see how Paul writes it there. He says, he says you have already put off the old man, and you have already put on the new man. So what is Paul saying then in verse 25? Put, putting away lying. If I've already put off the old man, what he's saying now is any behavior, any attitude, any action that is indicative of old man living should have no place in your new man lifestyle. I've already put off the old man. He's gone. I've already put off the new, put on the new man. He's here. But I need to make sure that my actions are in keeping with what's already happened to me. In other words, live how you are in Christ. I am alive in Christ. So I should act like someone who is alive in Christ. So he says, okay, putting away what? In terms of speaking the truth, all of this is modifying to speak the truth. I can't lie anymore. That's old man behavior. That old man lifestyle of lying should have no place in my life at all. That, that is an action or even maybe coming out of an attitude of what an unbeliever does. As he says in the middle portion of the text, 
That's how the Gentiles walk or order their lives. They lie all the time. Back in 1990s, right around the time of the Bill Clinton administration, some of you are old enough to remember that. And I, and I say that because they haven't gone away. They're still around. And they make political statements from time to time. And for those who are too young to know, you don't know why older people shudder when they hear them speak. Because when, when I, I was a young adult when they were in office, and every day was a lot. And you think today is bad, even the last administration or the present administration, it doesn't even compare to the line that went on back then. It was the world turned upside down. It was so awful. And a book came out during that time called Day America Told the Truth. And it was a horribly scary book. Because what, the, what it was was a secular book where the scholars went and did surveys in different regions of the country. And they asked questions about people and their behavior. And one of the ones had to do with lying. And, and they asked the question, how many of you lie? And the number of people who admitted to the survey that they lied every day was in the vast majority of Americans. They said, I lie every day. It was over 75%. Then they said, how many lies do you tell in a day? And, and I'm going to tell you, it was well over 75% who said 5, 10, 20 lies a day. It was just... The survey, and this, again, is not a Christian survey. It's a really interesting book. It's, it's old now. It's, you know, 30 years old. But you read it back then, and it was eye-opening to realize what people did, what they said, how they behaved, and how awful their lives were. And indicative of life back then was just lying. People lied all the time. Friends, that's how unbelievers live. Now, that shouldn't shock you. And, it, and I guess you could ask yourself the question, has it gotten any better in the last 30 years? Well, I don't know. What do you think? Has it gotten any better? I don't know that it has. Businesses, major corporations lie to your face. I went into a home improvement store and bought a door about five years ago. The guy looked at me and said, this door has a warranty. It's guaranteed. Oh, that's great. I want this door. So I bought the door. I had their installer that they recommended to me come out and install the door. Within a couple of years, the door started to rot. So I called on my guaranteed warranty. And guess what? It wasn't a warranty that was guaranteed. In fact, it was the installer's fault. Well, it's your installer. Well, it's not our installer. It's a different company. What well, your company owns that company. So it's your installer. We went round and round and round. It came out. They finally said, well... Here, here's what we'll do for you. If you buy a new door from us, we'll give you 10% off. I'm never going to buy anything from you ever again. They lied to me. Why should we be surprised? That's how people are. This is what the Bible's saying. Christians shouldn't be that way. You and I should never tell a lie. Now, we can stop and you can argue through the ethics of what a lie is, but I'm going to tell you within the context of this passage, that doesn't exist. Because the entire context of this passage is within a local church. And you always have an obligation to tell each other the truth in a local church. So you can say, well, what about a guy comes to my door and says, is your wife and our kids here and they have guns? And, they, and you know, we can discuss the ethics of whether or not I'm obligated to tell the truth. I would say, no, they're going to kill my family. I'm not going to tell them the truth. I don't think I'm obligated to do that. I can, I can take you through verses why I believe that's true. 
But that's not true in this context. In this context, what this is saying is, you must tell the truth all the time, 100%, no questions asked. Because it leads us to our second idea. Why is it so important that we do this? Because our Christian ethics are lived in community with others. You see, th this is number two. This is important because life in Christ is lived in community. The command is given to an individual within a group that is the church. So he says, wherefore, you can supply here the word you, wherefore you, putting away lying, but in doing so, he says, speak every man singular to his neighbor. So the you might be plural. The community, within the community, you put away lying, but as a singular individual, every man, every singular individual must speak the truth to the community. So the command itself in verse 25 is singular, speak the truth to your neighbor, so we can take this as a personal command. You can't just say, well, this is given to the church. No, it's given to you. It's given to me. I am obligated to tell you the truth. Now let me stop again, another aside. It's the old joke. Does this dress make me look fat? Right? I mean, there are times where I have to look at a person and say, I, I will not discuss this. Whatever the topic is, I, I can't discuss this topic with you. I can't talk about it. And, and then, you know, all of the normal ways a person tries to manipulate you into telling you what they want to hear when you tell them you're not going to say it. Well, if you say no, then what you really mean is yes. No, I'm just saying I won't discuss it with you. Well, then, then you're just saying yes, then. That's not what I'm saying. So you're saying no? That's not what I'm saying. I refuse to talk about it with you. There are times when you, you, you're not lying to say to a person, I can't talk about this. There are times when that you have to do that, where you just can't, I just can't discuss this with you. It's not your business. I can't share that it's confidential information, whatever. But you, you hold that back. That's fine. But when you're telling something, somebody, something to someone, if you're saying that to them, you, singular individual, have an obligation as a personal person, a personal person, as an individual, to share the truth with that other person. Because you're within a group. The command is given in the context of community. The part simple here, you putting away lying is plural. All of you do this. The pastor, pastors, the deacon, deacons, choir director, choir directors, because you got the pianist, right? And the harpist, whatever. Uh, you know, all of you, every single one, children in the church, teenagers, Everybody, you put away lying. It shouldn't be part of your life. We're in a plural context with that plural verb. Speak is plural. So our words said to others are in the context of a group. And it's because we are joined together as a church. Look at the last part of the verse. For we are members one of another. We're actually connected. We are a united body of Christ. That harkens back to verse 16. Look back at verse 16. Do you see that? Now he's talking about how all the joints and all of the different body parts are knit together, how God brings all those things together. 
It only functions as it should when it works together. If my elbows stop bending, that's a problem. You wake up one morning, you hear a little voice, it's your elbow. I've decided I'm not going to bend today. I'm just not going to do it. I'm being inflexible. I will not bend. Now, some of you who are older, you know, actually, you've heard those voices from your body parts, right? You get up out of bed. What happened to my back? I mean, I used to have a working back. Now I'm the hunchback of Carrie. It's, it's terrible. Those things happen. I get that. What I think what, what I'm saying is that within the context of the church, a healthy body of Christ doesn't ever have that. So, so if in the body of Christ, as we're working together, actually, I think what's controlling it, just go back a few verses, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him. You see, grow up into Christ. So what we do as a body, as we are framed together, we now function as we should. We're in complementary relationship to one another. Now we say what is true. We say it in a loving way. Yes, that dress is not flattering. I still love you as you are, right? I mean, how do you answer that question? It's, it's the old impossible question to answer for the husband's. But you, you say it in a flat, you say, well, you know, that's not the best dress, but you have others that are wonderful on you, right? You try to be as nice as you can be. And then you look at her and say, and never ask me that question ever again. That, that this is not good. This is, you shouldn't do that. Because our words, folks, are so important for church life. Lying is how you tear apart the body. Think about all the ways that lying is destructive. What does lying do? If, if, if you think about one body part lying to another body part, something that's actually put together, what does it do when Christians lie to each other? It undermines trust. I, I just can't trust you. I, I don't know if you're going to lie to me again. I, I want to trust you. Well, the Bible says you have to because you have to love me. If you love me, you trust me. Well, I do love you, but you've lied to me now so many times. Some of you have had in your lives addicts. You know how addicts are. They lie. It's, it's really hard to live in that kind of relationship because you just struggle with trust. And lying undermines trust. You know, it really hurts the people who are lied to or even lied about. It hurts them. You, you don't love me enough to tell me the truth. So you're going to lie to my face. Uh, I, I think this is so important that we realize lying never helps. You, you may think in the moment, this lie is better that I tell it. When our former president, the one I mentioned from a long time ago, lied, he said, I lied to protect my wife. Well, where was that when he was doing all the horrible things against his wife that he was doing? He wasn't lying to protect her. Even worse, he was lying again to protect himself. He was lying about lying. He was compounding his lie. And then he had the gall to stand up at a prayer breakfast for pastors and lecture them on judge not the GP not judged. I'm just going to tell you something, friends. Lying never helps. And what it does is it rips apart marriages. It does. Where were you while well, I was at the office? Well, were you at the office? No. What, what, where have you been? What have you, what have you been spending our money on? Well, it was important things. Was it important things? No. 
When, when that kind of relationship starts happening, marriages begin to break down. As soon as that trust is lost, now you start wondering, what else can I trust this individual about? What else can't I, can't I uh, trust him or her regarding? It hurts families. Children, children, when you lie to your parents, when you lie to your parents, they're, they're sitting there saying, I'd love to trust you, but I just can't. Especially you get to be a teenager and now you want a measure of independence. But you say, you know, I'm going to be over at this friend's house and you go over to somebody else's house and you lie to your parents. And then later you say, you don't trust me. My kids would say that to me once in a while. Do you know how I would answer them? With the exact same face and the exact same voice. No, I don't. I don't trust you because you've been lying to me. You want me to trust you? You need to stop lying. You know something, parents? It hurts your children when you lie to them. And sometimes parents lie to their children. It's an embarrassing moment. You don't want to have to discuss something with their kids. Uh, so they lie to them. And they don't tell the truth. It hurts church relationships. Uh, people lying to each other in, in church life. I can't imagine why, but it happens. But truth is the way you put the body together. Let's, let's turn this completely around and be positive. What makes life great is when we do tell the truth to each other. It's, it's like when you take your car after a long winter and you put it through a wash and, you, and then you get out the wax and you shine it all up. Truth just shines the car. Truth encourages trust, even when it's hard to say. Integrity. When I was in the Marine Corps, they used to say, integrity is one of the most important things we need from you men. You have to have integrity. Even if you're responsible, even if you're wrong, and sometimes you're standing there on the line and all your fellow Marines are standing on the line and the question was, which one of you flinched? Well, you weren't allowed to flinch, you know. Yeah, people would s slap sand fleas. How, which one, which I saw movement, which one of you did it? Nobody wants to step forward. Integrity says, it was me. He steps forward. Well, that's hard because then you're off to uh, a little place called the sand pit to do a little extra physical conditioning, right? Uh, it's hard, but you you then, you're, you're actually telling this individual, you can trust me. It encourages trust. It helps those who are told the truth too. I don't know if I said that sentence right, but that's what it does. When someone tells me the truth, it helps me. It reminds me that it, I should tell the truth and it has value when we tell the truth to each other. You see, in a truth environment, marriages thrive. They thrive because you can trust that individual. Let me just tell you something. I'm not, I'm not just going to be bragging on my wife just to brag on my wife. But there is nobody in the world who I trust more than my wife. Do you know why? Because she's trustworthy. We've lived together for 27 years. Uh, there is there is no time where I do, when I'm with her particularly where I don't know what she's thinking or feeling at the moment, <laughs> good or bad, good or bad, right? You know, it's not a it's no hiding game, you know. I, I had a girlfriend once, I who who got angry with me. I said, "What did I do?" She said, "You know what you did." I I said to myself, 
No, I don't. And this is the last time we'll be doing anything together because I don't play. Who's supposed to play that game? You know what you did. I don't know what I did. Yes, you do. I don't. We're done. <laughs> you know, it's nice to know you. You know, meet you up on Facebook in 30 years. You know, that was just weird. No, I. it's a blessing. It's a blessing. Marriages thrive. Families thrive. When, when your children tell you the truth and you're telling them the truth and that truth environment in your home is there, it's just there's just a thriving. But when you have closed doors and and uh, hidden things, you know, I, I always laughed at kids who hid things under their beds, like like their mom doesn't actually change their sheets. <laughs> you know, not many children change their sheets, but they hide right where the sheets are being changed. And they're shocked when their parents find it. No, 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 hidden things. When you don't have those things, when it's just open and honest discussion taking place, families grow and churches flourish through this. You see what he says, go back again, just a few verses where he said, right, when we are speaking the truth in love, now go a little further back, he says, or come a little forward, he says, okay, now all the body parts are being fit together. We are now growing. We're being edified. In love. This is what makes a church grow. I'm not talking about numerically grow. I'm talking about spiritually grow. It makes us spiritually strong and healthy as people are telling the truth. My friends, as a Christian, living a Christian life, you're obligated to tell the truth to each other. And so may we commit ourselves just absolutely this is who I'll be. It doesn't mean we'll be perfect. It doesn't mean there won't be a time where you do tell a lie. You do. You repent. You move on. You try to reestablish trust where you can, where it's been broken. But you just commit yourself. I am going to be a truth teller. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you for this opportunity to look at this verse. What a, an incredibly important truth.